beautiful, beautiful worship this morning. Isn't it? It's just so good to be together as, as a body of Christ, worshiping our Savior, Jesus, our Lord. So on Monday this week, I walked into the office. John asked me how I was doing, and I just said, thanks a lot. And he looked at me kind of quizzically. He said, what's wrong? I said, thanks a lot. I said, you preached one of your best sermons ever. I've ever heard you preach, and then I got to follow it. Thanks a lot. And he just kind of smiled at me and said, it's job security. I'm kidding. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. I'm just having a little fun. Uh, we, we have such a great, wonderful relationship. I'm so thankful uh, for him and his uh, stewardship and leadership for our staff and for our church. And it's just a blessing to be with you this morning to be able to preach the Word of God to you for us. We're going to go ahead and, and turn into Psalm 57. Uh, there are Bibles scattered throughout the chairs in front of you if you didn't bring it with you today. For those of you that may not have one, and for those of you that do, I encourage you to turn there. If you crack open your Bible about halfway, you might hit it, just right there. But we're in Psalm 57, and you'll notice that the title of today's sermon is Confident Faith. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of confident faith that a child may have, where, oh, I love Jesus so everything is going to go right in my life, and everything will be good, because I love Jesus, and nothing bad can ever happen to me now, right? I'm talking about the kind of faith that has seen trials, has seen and tasted suffering, has seen desperation, has seen you come to your last wit, and turning to the Lord. This is where David is at when he writes this psalm. And from this text, we'll, we'll uncover three truths that we'll derive from the text here. They are that God provides refuge. That God provides salvation. And that God will be praised. We're going to pray and then we'll read the text, the whole psalm. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to lift up your name this morning. Just thank you, Lord, for, for your goodness and faithfulness, your loving kindness. Lord, what a reminder it is to just be in your presence and to shower you with praise. Lord, be with us this morning as we continue to explore the depths of your word. Open our hearts this morning, Lord. Let your wisdom speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, confident faith. Oh, we're going to read. Here we go. Here's the psalm. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. 
God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. The psalm actually begins here within the title. Underneath your heading, you might see some italicized words. That's in our English Bible, but in the Hebrew translation and then the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, this is where verse 1 is actually. So in the psalm, there's actually 12 verses. And there's vital details that we can pick from this heading that kind of give us a clue as to what is the mindset of David when he writes this psalm. He writes, for the choir director. I like to think that, uh, you know, David's alone in a cave right now. That's that's kind of the sense that we get. And uh, I think he's thinking of a buddy back home. I know this guy. He's really good at music. (laughs) I've written a psalm. Make sure I give it to him when I get back. Set to Al-Tashef. Or some of your Bibles may say, do not destroy. That's the translation of that. This is probably a, a popular song in David's time where many people knew it. I would liken it to uh, if, if I said, hey, hey, Chad, I wrote a song and it's to Amazing Grace. Think you could sing it? Probably. I'm not going to ask you to do that. <laughs> yeah. He said good. But just to get a little circum or a little understanding here, this is probably set to a popular song that everyone knows back in David's time. You'll see here a miktam of David. And this is weird because when you literally translate the word miktam, it means a pot lid or a covering. And this is not a pot lid that we're going over. So many scholars try to, they have no idea really what, what to make of this. That's not to say that the Bible is inerrant, but it's just to give you a sense that this word may have been used in a different way. And it's very special because a miktam is only used uh, just a handful of times to record about a psalm. So many other scholars will say, oh, this is very special to David. It's a golden psalm. And it says, of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave... As you know, we've gone through 1 Samuel. 
And next week we'll end it. But today we're in Psalm 57. But you remember, there are two instances where David is in a cave. 1 Samuel 22, after he had went to the Philistines to seek refuge from Saul. Very questionable, right? Uh, And then he's like, oh yeah, bad idea. This is Goliath's hometown. Uh, I'm going to plead crazy and uh, leave. So he runs 10 miles east to the caves of Adullam. Or, this could be as recorded in 1 Samuel 24. When he's in the very cave with Saul. In either instance, cannot forget that the tone of this psalm begins with desperation at its core. You hear it in David's voice. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. Now it's worth noting that within the psalm itself there are several repeated phrases. This being one of them. Be gracious to me. And I'm reminded since my dad is here, he used to repeat things a lot to me. And also it would get through my thick skull. David is repeating himself here for a reason. He is crying out with his heart to the Lord. Lord, be gracious to me. Remember me. Help me. He continues, for my soul takes refuge in you. Now, some of you may have for my heart, for my life. But the Hebrew word here is nefesh, which means my soul. There's a reason David says, my soul. He doesn't say, my body. He does not say, my heart. He does not say, my mind. These are all things that can decay and go away. Our souls, though. They trust in the Lord. They are eternally His. David is expressing that his soul, even though, remember, he is in a cave. He is alone. Even though his body, his mind, his heart are in a state of panic and fear, he says, my soul will take refuge in you. David's Confident faith is coming out from the depths of his soul. He continues, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. I'd like to work backwards here from the passage we just read. Beginning with Selah. Now this is not a name. This is actually just uh, to denote that there's a break here. Or a, a musical interlude that's indicated. This is a song, by the way. Think of it as, a, for you musicians, as a bridge or an instrumental, if you will. 
I like to think of uh, one of our favorites here, In Christ Alone. There's a musical interlude between verse 2 and verse 3. And it's to help us as worshipers to reflect on the good news that was just talked about in that verse. And then the good news that is coming. The end of verse 2, if you're wondering, is there or here in the death of Christ I stand. And verse 3 begins, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. There is a, a break there to help us focus in. And David is helping us focus in right now. David calls to God most high. El Elyon. Please note this is different than other names of God used in the Old Testament. This is not Yahweh or Jehovah or Adonai. This is El Elyon. God most high. This is significant. And it's a beautiful piece of imagery here within this psalm. You see, remember, David is physically in a cave. In a cave. In the depths of a cave. And he calls to God most high. I can't reach that far. Do you see it? God who is above all the earth. Above the heavens. God most high. He is literally calling out to God to cover him and protect him. David writes also, and in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. A lot of us know this literature. David, it's one of his favorite things to say in the Psalms. He says it many times in Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 61, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. In Psalm 91, he will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings you may seek refuge. Jesus also share the same imagery when he rode into Jerusalem. And he laments over Jerusalem as it's recorded in Matthew and also in Luke, but this is from Matthew. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you are unwilling think it's beautiful how God created things and how we get to see this in creation. This mother goose and her babies within the shelter of her wings protecting. God gives us this imagery all throughout creation and he is our refuge. Within the shelter of his wings we are protected. We have comfort in Him. Church, we are the babies. 
within our Heavenly Father's wings. And not only can God provide refuge, but he also provides salvation to us. You see, because if God can only provide refuge and then the refuge crumbles, I'm back to square one. I need protection. He delivers again. God provides salvation for us. Looking back at our text, you'll notice that uh, I go from, we go from Selah to Selah right here. It's in the middle of a verse break. And this is intentional. The structure is a different, it's, it's a type of poetic form. It's, I like to call it A-B-A-B, where A represents praise to God and B represents overwhelming circumstances. And some of you are looking at me like, what is A, B, A, B? <laughs> Does anyone remember high school literature class? Good for you that raised your hand. Most of you slept through it like I did. Uh, let's be honest. But it's coming in handy now, right? Now, this is a poetic form. It's also in music as well to identify themes within literature. And that's what we're doing here. A is praise to God. B is overwhelming circumstance. We'll start with A. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. If you have a pen, highlight that, underline it, star it, circle it, do whatever you need to do. I want you to remember this verse. We're going to come back to it. But it's beautiful. And here we come across a B form. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. And here it is again, that word. My soul. Church, how can David's soul take refuge in the Lord and still be among the lions? I think it's a valid question. It's valid for a lot of us. I kind of want to go off script a little bit here. Because I, I, I mean, it, it very well could be that, that David is referring to literal lions. Right? He's in the wilderness. I'm pretty sure he's scoping out, making sure no one followed him. And like, there's no deadly predator around the corner making camp where he is. But I think for us, it's talking about Emotional lions. Church, have you experienced this? This Maybe some of you have had the lion of, of depression come into your life. The lion of, of an unexpected illness or a diagnosis not fair. The sudden loss of a loved one. God, how could you do this to me? These are lions that attack our emotions. They try, to, they try to pry us away from the Lord. And we've been there. This, sometimes they make you feel guilt and shame. Because maybe, maybe you're not living up to your potential as a person. 
I think these are all tools of the enemy to distract us from the glory of God. These are the lions that we deal with. First Peter. Well, Peter reminds us in First Peter, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I know that we've seen people devoured by these very lions. Who we are under the refuge of the Lord, but sometimes our hearts just, they get tricked, they get deceived. But we have comfort in the Lord, our God. We have this treasure that cannot be taken away from us. When we face lions, we must come to realize that it is our chance to draw near to God. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote about this and gives advice to us believers who feel that they are among lions. And we can grow in confident faith. He writes, if you are among lions, you will have fellowship with Jesus and his church. If you are among lions, you will be driven nearer to God. If you are among the lions, remember that God has them on a leash. I love that one. I imagine God with like a little kitty cat on the leash. Come here, kitty. Get away from him. But this last one outdoes this. If you are among lions, remember there is another from the tribe of Judah. See, church, God is our salvation. And he sent his son Jesus from the tribe of Judah. We are redeemed. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. El Elyon, God Most High, be exalted, be praised. You are above the heavens. You're above the earth. David is recognizing that his problems are not with God. They're here on this earth where lions prowl and where men are corrupt. David even continues to write, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me and they themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. All this talk about pits and lions makes me think of a very popular biblical story with Daniel and the lion's den. And I know David never meant to include, probably didn't even know about this story well in advance of his years. But they dug a pit before him and they themselves have fallen into it. That's such a, remember because Daniel was in the lion's den dug by advisors to King Darius. And King Darius didn't know that Daniel was going to lions. Then the next morning he said, he better be alive. He walks in there, Daniel, are you alive? He's like, I'm fine. So King Darius throws those men in there. They themselves have fallen 
into it. God provides a way. He has saved us. Church, do you remember I asked you to underline a certain verse, put a star next to it, circle it, highlight it. Don't tear it out. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Church, who, who did God send to be his loving kindness and his truth? I didn't hear you. There we go. Jesus is our truth. He even says it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, Jesus is our truth. God has provided for us a way to be saved. He knew that we could not save ourselves. If we could save ourselves, we don't need refuge from lions. We just beat them up ourselves. But we could not save ourselves from our sin. So God, he saw our circumstances as sinful man. Saw the distance between us. He wrapped himself in flesh. Becoming 100% man and 100% God. In the form of Jesus Christ. Living among us and showing us how to live a life pleasing to God. And he bore our sin on the cross. An atoning sacrifice for our sin and pleasing the wrath of God and his judgment against sin. And I love that the story doesn't end there. If it ended there, we'd just be in the ground decomposing and feeding worms. But Jesus Christ, from the power of God, was raised on the third day And he has now ascended to the right hand of God. And he intercedes on our behalf for us now. That is our confident faith, church. That we will be raised again. We can say like with the Apostle Paul, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? It ain't here. God has provided the means for our salvation. And it's beautiful. It's humbling. There's no more guilt or shame. Just grace. Because of this, church, who gets the glory? (laughs) This is interactive. (laughs) Who gets the glory, church? Who gets the honor? Who gets the praise? God will be praised. I'm not going to read through the rest of this passage, but I'm just going to highlight it for you. God will be praised. You notice there's a sense here from David, quite the turnaround emotionally for him. He's looking at his physical circumstance of of desperation. And it turns into awakening. Loneliness turns into fellowship with God. And despair turns into praise. 
And there's beautiful repetition here found in the verses. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Awake. And even the previous lines coming back. For your loving kindness is great. And your truth. And even in verse 11. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. El Elyon is truly the God who is above the heavens and his glory will be above the earth. He will be praised. I'm reminded of when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a week before his death. Or the week of his death. He's riding in and there's a huge ruckus, right? His disciples are shouting, Hosanna! And all the people are joining in. Yeah, he's going to overthrow Rome. And the priests are not happy. They're saying, turn the music down, Jesus. Why don't you silence your disciples and these people that have gathered here? I love Jesus' response. I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the very stones would cry out. The created praising the creator. And church, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of the symphony that will take place in heaven, praising our Savior, praising our God, who is most high. How beautiful it is that we get to be included. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to close your eyes. And no, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or, or do anything like that. I just want, I want us to envision something here. An image in your mind. So go ahead, close your eyes while I read. Picture this. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are clothed in white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. What a glorious day that will be, church. You may open your eyes. In our confident faith in Jesus Christ, we will see that day. This faith that will see Testing and trials, suffering and despair will ultimately see the God Most High, our God, praised among all the peoples and all the nations. How beautiful it is to be included in that. As we conclude, I want to encourage you. God is our refuge. God is our salvation. And our only response can be God, 
I praise you from the depths of my soul. I'm going to ask you to stand right now and read another passage from Revelation as, as a blessing for us. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Church, I want you to live in this confident faith. Have peace in your hearts. And do not walk among the lions. But when you do, remember that God is your salvation. Church, be blessed.